It's good to have the Bacchus back from Peru. <laughs> you went too long. You can go all you want. Just don't make it so long. <laughs> but it's good to have them home. Mike, you, your family's coming home soon? <laughs> Germany, Peru, Quinn down at Auburn. What can I say? We're in Genesis chapter 29. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 31. Jacob, he has arrived in Haran. He has met his match in deception. And it's none other than his own uncle Laban. There's a popular saying that circulates in the world around us, and that is what goes around comes around. Scripture says it this way, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God promised Jacob the birthright and his blessing, but Jacob was not willing to let God bring it about the way he desired. Jacob is not willing to wait for God. And so with the help of Rebekah, his mother, Jacob deceives Isaac, his father, and Isaac blesses him. Isaac has a moment of truth right after the blessing. It dawns on him that God's word prevails, and Isaac trembles. He trembles at the sovereignty and power of God that has brought about the blessing of Jacob through himself, even though he wanted to bless Esau. Esau, he wants to be blessed by Isaac also. But Isaac says, Jacob has been blessed and it shall remain so. He will remain blessed. Isaac has come to the conclusion God's blessings are his own to give. All man can do is verbalize those blessings. Don't ever think that at the close of the service that it's me blessing you. No, the Lord bless you. You don't want my blessings anyway. You want God's blessings. And his blessings come about. And all I can do is reassure you that God is for you. Amen? Amen. Isaac, he's not the first parent to think that he possesses God's blessings. And it's his to give to whomever he pleases. Many family divisions, many family schisms come about when the last will and testament are read after someone has died. Why did mom and dad leave that relative anything? Don't they know that they didn't really love them and that as soon as, soon as it's given, it'll be wasted? And we hear these kind of things. Every now and again, we get to see, though, the Lord in his wisdom working things out through those kind of things. And I know of a mother who had several stepchildren. And when their natural father died, this mother was not willing to share the inheritance with the stepchildren she had. 
But you know, as fate would have it, these stepchildren had a rich aunt or aunt, either way you want to say it. And she died and she left these stepchildren, the same one that had been cut out of the other will. She basically left them a fortune. And this grieved the stepmother that someone would leave her stepchildren all this money. And we all hear stories like this. Families that are torn apart by parents like Isaac and Rebecca, who love and favor one child over another. Jacob, he has received that birthright and blessing, but because of his deception, he must flee home. He must leave Beersheba because Esau comforts himself by saying, I will kill Jacob as soon as my father dies. And this is where we pick up the story this morning. Jacob has left home, and he arrives in Haran at Uncle Laban's. Genesis 29, 15 through 31. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and of appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, and he made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week. And we will give you this one also for the services which you shall serve me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. And then when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Strange place to stop, you may think, but that's where we'll stop. Verse 15. Uncle Laban, not one to take advantage of his nephew, or so he says, <laughs> asked Jacob if Laban took advantage of him. Laban wants to know what should your wages be, Jacob? What, what would you desire that I give you? And Jacob loves Rachel. 
and he's quick to declare his desires for Rachel. And it's obvious to everybody that Jacob loves Rachel. And Laban and Jacob go through this Eastern negotiation thing. And they come to the agreement that Jacob will serve Laban seven years for Rachel. That's sort of expensive, by the way. Verse 17, it tells us that Leah's eyes are delicate. I like what the old King James says there. It says her eyes were weak. Now, weak eyes could mean a vision problem. Or in that culture where rich brown eyes prevailed, weak eyes could simply mean blue eyes. There weren't a lot of people around with blue eyes, and it might have meant that Leah's eyes were simply blue. Regardless, Jacob enters into this servitude for seven years for Rachel. And the seven years, it says that they seem like a few days to Jacob because of his great love for Rachel. But the seven years come to an end. Jacob has completed his uh, servitude, and he wants his bride, Rachel. Laban, he prepares a marriage feast. He invites friends, relatives, and they're celebrating. But then Laban pulls the old switcheroo. <laughs> and he substitutes Leah for Rachel. Now, consider Leah's feelings for just a moment. She knows Jacob loves Rachel her younger sister. Leah knows this. Yet the custom of that area dictates that she must obey her father Laban regardless of what he may ask of her. And how extremely sad it is for Leah knowing that her husband does not love her. He does not prefer her above all others. How many of you brides would have settled for that today? <laughs> uh, I'll pass on you, Jacob. <laughs> but the cruelty of Laban is extreme to his own daughter. Because the very next morning, Jacob, he discovers who he is with. And it's Leah, not Rachel. Jacob storms out of the marriage tent and he goes to confront Laban. What have you done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Now Jacob will put into words that will identify his own character here, his own background. Why have you deceived me? Oh, Jacob, the shoe's on the other foot now. <laughs> the deceiver has been deceived. Remember Isaac? When he had been deceived by Jacob, he trembled exceedingly. I think Jacob is now trembling inwardly, at least. And before the words are even out of Jacob's mouth, I think he's convicted by his own deception of what he did to Isaac and Esau. I think he is so surprised that what he has found in that morning when he woke up, that he is now dazed and he's confused and he's trying to make sense of the whole situation. And we look at his questions for Laban in chapter, uh, verse 25 rather. 
What is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Then why have you deceived me? Jacob, without a doubt, was a good servant for those seven years. He was a good, shrewd businessman. And he's given Laban seven years of his business expertise. And he was also a shepherd. So there were seven years of service in which Laban has profited greatly. Seven years where Jacob took nothing for himself. And Jacob fully understands that his labors have blessed Laban. And we hear Jacob say, why have you deceived me? Laban, he knows that Jacob loves Rachel and he takes advantage of it. Love happens to be the strongest motivator known to man. Love, there's no cost to love for the things we love. We don't regard the cost of anything that we truly love. Money becomes a byproduct. It becomes a tool for us to achieve the things we do love or seven years of service. In verse 20, Jacob has served Laban seven years, and it says they only seem like a few days. Wow, that's love. <laughs> Rachel, she's not ignorant of why Jacob is serving her dad. Jacob and Rachel, they're officially engaged during this seven-year period, and I'm sure they've had opportunities to come to know one another. They've had intimate conversations in these seven years. Uh, and I'm sure Jacob said things like, when we get married, Rachel, I'm going to get you your own tent. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to make sure you've got a flock of sheep that you can take care of because you're a shepherd. It's, I'm, I'm going to do that for you. And we might have children. <laughs> Jacob and Rachel, they had dreams like every engaged couple have dreams. But Jacob, he had no place in his life whatsoever for Leah. Leah never crosses the mind of Jacob. And then he wakes up one morning, and it's his wife. This woman that he's probably totally ignored or disregarded completely for seven years is his wife. Leah, the plain one. The unattractive, weak-eyed, oldest sister is now his wife. And I think Jacob is reeling. He's trying to put all this together, and he can't put it together. This is too big of a surprise, too big of a change. For Leah, no one has to tell Leah that her husband does not love her. And how sad that is. Her husband... Jacob, he's outraged that she has become his wife. And Leah has had to live in the shadows of Rachel, her younger, lovely sister, all of her life. 
something to notice in this passage. We have no objection by Leah, no voiced objection concerning the deception that's going to be pulled over by her dad Laban and herself over Jacob. She does not object to it. It is possible that Leah sees the old switcheroo that Laban is bringing about as her only chance for marriage, her only chance for children. And in that society, everything was based upon a woman having children. Leah appears to be a willing participant. She has given up on being loved for who she is. And now she's going to settle for being a wife and hopefully being a mother. You didn't have to tell Leah that she was a plain Jane with weak eyes. <laughs> you know, the primary reason that most of us are insecure is because we often see our own flaws all too well. I shave in the shower, shower without a mirror because I do not want to see that I am bald, okay? So don't tell me that I'm bald. I'm already suspect of that, all right? Back to Jacob, though. Laban offers Rachel to Jacob, and all he's got to do is serve him another seven years. But if you serve me another seven, I'll give you Rachel right now. So Jacob, he's quick to accept this deal. He's quick to accept polygamy. And Rachel becomes wife number two. Then we read the obvious in verse 30. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. But thank God for verse 31. And that's what we'll talk about now, verse 31. It's that great equalizer verse. The Lord saw. God has seen. Our God is not blind to any of our injustices. Have you ever suffered unfairly? I'd venture to say we all have. Well, let me tell you this. It has never escaped God's attention if you've suffered unjustly. Someone once said there has to be a heaven just to make things fair for all of mankind. God has not only see it, seen Leah as unloved, he has opened her womb. But Rachel is barren. I think that's a God thing also. I think all of life stems from our Lord. And in the book of Galatians, Paul the Apostle gives us insight to the character and power of God. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that he shall reap. God has not abandoned mankind to ourselves, to the injustices around us. God has also created us with a free will. 
And in that free will comes responsibility. Sinful man often chooses to sin, choosing to live apart from God's standard. But in this verse in Galatians, God says, do not be deceived. You can go and you live your sinful life. You can go and do your own thing, but don't be deceived about it. Don't be misled about it. Don't be tricked. Don't be led to believe the lie. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. It's a fact of God. The word deceived is interesting because deceived can also include willful apathy. What do I mean by that? We can know the truth, but we can refuse to act upon it. That is being deceived. We can see oftentimes calamity coming and not do anything about it. That is being deceived. Jesus in chapter 24 of Matthew, he's asked by his disciples, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? What will come about right before your return, Jesus? And Jesus' response is noteworthy. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. First thing Jesus says, don't be deceived by those end times. And deception can take the form of status quo prevails in our life. It's going to be this way and it'll be this way forever. No, no, it won't. Jesus, he said in another place in the Gospels, no sign will be given this generation except the sign of Noah. And what was the sign of Noah? Everyone's going about their daily lives, doing their own thing, oblivious to all the signs that were around them. God does not want us to be oblivious or deceived about the day we live in. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He still prevails in the affairs of mankind. He still rules and reigns in the lives of men, especially believers, especially his own creation. Whether we like it or whether we don't, God still prevails. In Romans 2, 4, Paul declares, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And then in verse 6, he says, God will render or give back to each one according to his deeds, a promise of God. The fairness, the justice of God to Leah that he gives her children. And before Leah dies, God will also give Leah the love of Jacob, her husband. The encouraging thing to this verse for us as believers is God saw Leah and he saw she was unloved and God comforts her and he comforts her with sons, four sons right away. And through these sons, 
Leah, the sons of Leah, the Messiah will come. So Leah is in the lineage of Christ himself. So the question becomes, do we struggle with some unfair circumstance in our life? Now think about that for a moment. Is there something out there that bothers you? Esau, loved by Isaac. Jacob, loved by Rebekah. They had their own schisms right in that family. And it seemed unfair in that family. So do we struggle with something that has happened to us that on the surface appears very unfair? It's an injustice that we go through. Is there something that you just can't get past? Do you hold grudges? Do you hold bitterness because of that? And no matter how you contemplate about it, no matter what you think about it, the situation remains and it's an obstacle in your life between your relationship between you and God because you've been done wrong. Has the injustice stolen your peace of mind, changed your relationship with the Lord? I suggest you give it over to God and let him deal with it. God took care of Leah. He blessed Leah in ways that, that no one could see. But if we give God those injustices that have happened to us and will happen to us, Life is not fair. That's an illusion. <laughs> Believe me. And we all go through things that we look at and say, that's just not fair. But our God sees. He saw Leah. He saw her predicament. He gave her sons. God resolved her rejection by giving her sons that the Messiah would come through. And God desires to give you and I deliverance here in this life. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, it's so easy for us to become bitter. It's so easy for us to sit in the seat of judging and condemn others for unfair behavior towards us. And some of us have been wronged by others, Lord. But may we just give it over to you. For you love us, you've seen the injustice, and you, our Lord and our God, will deliver us and take care of us. Let us know that, let us trust in that, and let us be in prayer about the unfairness that we see in life. We ask you, to cover our wounds, Lord. We ask you to be our healer in that regard. Take care of us, Lord. And just like you saw Leah and you give her sons and how she rejoiced at her sons, Lord, let us understand that you're for us and you see our situation and you want to take care of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And we ask this 
and pray for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.